Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from negative mental constructs, self-limiting beliefs, and paradigms that have held you back from becoming the person that God has designed you to be. Most episodes will incorporate psychology, theology, spirituality, and biology. That is to bring a perfect balance to your life. I know there's no such thing as perfect, but to bring a more efficient balance to your life so that you can function at your highest level of potential. The fact that you've connected today is because you, as so many other people, are probably on a quest, a quest to better yourself, to improve, to go from point A to point B, point B being that place where you desire to see yourself. So I hope and pray that today you start a new journey, that you receive a revelation, that uh, you be enlightened in a certain way, that you come to understand things that you didn't understand before. Remember, you don't know what you don't know, and what you don't know, you can't deal with. What you can't define, you can't defeat. And so today, for many of you, is a start of something new. And I believe that as long as you stay intentional, disciplined, and consistent, you will see change come to your life. Just as Paul told the Romans, I tell you today, don't conform to the ways of the world. Don't be like everyone else. Monkey see, monkey do. I mean, come on. I hope you get tired of trying to fit in. You aren't meant to fit in. You're your own person. There's no one identical to you. Your DNA is different. The way that you have been designed, your purpose and your plan is different. So Paul said to the Romans, don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed. Transform means to change. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for your life. A lot of people ask me, Milton, what do you think God's will is for my life? (laughs) Well, my friend, if you don't know, I don't know that either. All I can tell you that his will is a good one. His plans are perfect. Do I understand them? No. Will you understand them? Only if you get into his word. Only if you go through the the transformational process through the renewing of your mind. And it starts by stopping the rat race, by not wanting to always fit in, to compete, to do more, to be more than the neighbor. It's all about you. You've got to develop the more growth mindset than a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset competes with the neighbor. The growth mindset competes with himself, with herself. To become more, to be more, to do more. Not for selfish motives or reasons, but to be a blessing to others. After today's episode, would you take a few minutes of your time to rate this podcast with a five-star rating and, and leave a positive comment? I really do appreciate it. Do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? 
that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. You probably know by now that that is a clip from the movie The Matrix. And I just want to highlight some of the things that he says to Neo. He says, the Matrix is everywhere. You can see it when you look out your window or when you watch television. It's everywhere. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, whatever you do. It's the world. And it has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth that you were born into. You were born into bondage, he says, into a prison that you cannot perceive for your mind. Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, No one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. That clip is a lesson in itself. It's got so many valuable takeaways, so much psychology and spirituality. We could go on for hours commenting on that particular minute and a half clip from the Matrix. You know what's crazy? (laughs) What's crazy is that he says to Neo, you have been born into bondage. Now, you would think that we're born a clean slate, not born into bondage, you know, that we set our eyes on our own destination and that we start our own journey and that we choose. And there is a lot of truth to that. But let me tell you, now please understand that there there are times when we are born into bondage because of the mindsets that we inherited from our past. You know, the scripture says, and the sins of the forefathers shall be carried on to the third and the fourth generation. Let me tell you, that is not pie in the sky. That's not figurative speech. It's not an allegory. It's not a tale. It is truth. If you are a Bible-believing, God-fearing individual, if you're a Christ follower, then you believe that God's word is truth. It's infallible. It is absolute. It is not abstract. And so the word of God says, and the sins of the forefathers shall be carried on to the third and the fourth generation. Now, we understand that in Christ, we have the power to break free from the bondage, to break free from the chains that have enslaved us or enslaved past past generations. And so when I meet with people for the first time, and I interview them before a counseling session and they're having issues in their marriage or they're simply having issues on an individual level. Uh, Maybe they're struggling with addictions or their marriage is on the point of no return. It's already gone into the death spiral. You know, one of the questions that I ask them, or actually, I don't even ask them. I tell them, your forefathers, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, I'm sure that they were abusers, womanizers, unfaithful, adulterous, addictive behaviors. 
mental illness prevailed within your family tree. And they look at me like I can read their mind. <laughs> they, they ask, how did you know that? Well, it's obvious because we're seeing it perpetuate throughout the family tree all the way into my office in the life of that individual because, because they were born into bondage. The matrix represents a system of control that operates completely in the mind at that level. It's a complex machine-driven program that appropriates any personal, political, or ideological leanings and renders them wholly false. It allows illusions, but no action. The mental bondage that people go through, although it is not managed or driven by a computerized program, it is also or as complex as one because it operates at the level of the subconscious mind. And we've talked about this before. The subconscious mind, if you, if you were to picture an iceberg and we've heard the proverbial, the tip of the iceberg, well, the tip of the iceberg is only 10% of the volume of an iceberg. It's, it's what you see above the water, above sea level. What is underneath is the 90% that you can't see. What you do see are attitudes, emotions, decisions. What you don't see is all the crap from the past. That is the 90%. That's why it is so complex. Listen, the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind can process 20 million bits of information per second, whereas the conscious mind can only process 40 bits of information per second. What that means is that the subconscious mind processes 500,000 times more information than what the conscious mind is able to do. Uh, pretty much everything that you do is based on the subconscious mind. Most of the mental operations that, that cause you to decide or to choose a certain way is pretty much based on your subconscious mind. And therefore, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it your destiny. And that's so true. If you're not able to identify those strongholds, those mental constructs, those paradigms, they will continue to dominate your life. They will continue to, they will continue to direct you to a certain destination. In today's episode, I want to focus on the victim mentality, the victim mindset, which is a form of bondage that is founded or deep-rooted in the subconscious mind that many people are actually born into or born with. If you know me, you know that I am bicultural and bilingual. In other words, I am uh, of Mexican descent and I speak both languages. Now, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma back in 1972. I was raised in Houston, Texas up until I was about 12 years of age. And then after that, I migrated to Mexico, to my parents' hometown, and I lived there for 18 years. I was close to 30 years of age when I came back to the United States. Growing up in Houston, Texas, in a neighborhood where my family was the only Hispanic family, the only Mexican family, going to a school where the majority were not like me. Actually, <laughs> there were only about three other students that were Mexican. I recall experiencing some 
name-calling, uh, beaners, wetbacks. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty common back in the day. Now, please understand, we were probably one of the wealthier families in the neighborhood. My father, he was a corporate executive. He was a vice president of operations in a corporate company, doing very well. But we were different. We didn't, we didn't fit in. But one of the things that my father did was he never let us develop a victim mindset. My father always taught us otherwise. He taught us to value ourselves beyond what we look like. You know, kind of like what God said about David when Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to anoint the new king. I mean, Jesse brought his seven sons out so that the prophet could take a look at him and see which one he would anoint to be the king. And, and when the prophet saw them all, God said, no, 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 all the way down the line to number seven. And, and, and Samuel, the prophet, was confused because he was quite impressed with the way that these guys looked. They looked royal. They looked kingly. They looked, they looked priestly. I mean, they looked good. But God reminded Samuel, and he said, I don't look at the outward condition of man. I look at the heart. In other words, he wasn't there to anoint good looks or talent. He was there to anoint a heart. And so my parents taught us that we were worth more than what was on the outside, that what mattered most was the condition of our heart and our intellect, that we should never let anyone else's opinion of us define who we are or who we become. And so, yes, I remember growing up and hearing other kids and myself say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And that is the farthest from the, from the truth. Names do hurt. I was a kid. They really did hurt. But, but I would recall my parents and what they taught us and how to stand up. Not to stand up and put up my fists and, and, and put on a fight, but to stand up for myself on the inside and to believe in myself. Because at the end of the day, what matters most is that I believe in me, that I choose to live a life to please God, regardless of what others might think, whatever their opinion might be. <laughs> they don't pay my bills, so I don't care. You know, I once told a, a church congregation, I'm too old to really care what people think about me at this point. <laughs> you either like me or you don't period. But that's not going to define me. Just as Morpheus told Neo in The Matrix, the Matrix is everywhere. You can see it when you look out your window and you watch television. It's everywhere. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church. It's everywhere. Let me tell you that there is an influence or several influences in our world today that have the potential to shape our worldview, either to shape it or to deform it. As believers, we have a biblical worldview. We see everything or should be seeing everything through the lens of the Word of God, period. When it comes to our children's education, our children's education should be that of a biblical worldview. If you are a believer, you should choose wisely. Education is 
the easiest door into the mind of a child, which has the potential to mold and shape it, to indoctrinate it to a certain belief system or ideology. And so our world today has so many influences. And the influence today is developing so many people with the victim mindset, a victim mentality. You owe me. The world owes me. Why did you look at me that way? Why did you say what you just said? How come you treated me differently? People are falling into bondage, not knowing that this mindset disempowers. They may feel that it empowers them, but in the long run, all it does is disempower generation after generation after generation. Morpheus said to Neo, you have to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, and disbelief free your mind. This mindset, of course, starts in the psyche, in the psychology, and is manifested in the individual's behavior. Now, people who possess this mediocre mindset, this victim mindset, they actually enjoy it. Why? (laughs) It has its perks. It has its benefits. What are they, you may ask? Well, let me tell you. They don't have to take responsibility for anything at all. People with a victim mindset love other people lavishing them with attention. They love it when people feel sorry for them. They're less likely to get criticized because nobody wants to upset them. They have the right to complain at all times whenever they want for the things that they got or didn't get, for things that were done to them or that weren't done to them. Uh, They are more likely to get whatever they want in any situation. They don't have to feel bored because there's way too much drama going on in their lives. And they get to avoid and even bypass anger because they're too busy feeling sad. Now, we'll say that the people that play the victim, they they do it unconsciously, subconsciously, or even unintentionally. Even so, the victim role does involve a tremendous amount of manipulation and string pulling. Let me tell you, people in relationships or friendships with victims often report feeling like puppets who mold into whatever the victim believes they are or want them to be. It's that simple. Playing the victim is also often used by abusive or sociopathic people who use this role to to keep a tight emotional leash on those close to them. For example, a narcissist person might constantly put down their partner, then fixate on that one time their partner snapped and called them a monster. (laughs) making it seem like they are in fact the abused one. Or a physically abusive person might might use the excuse that they always have to put up with the other person as a reason for beating up their partner. In the Bible, we see a few individuals that put on the victim mindset themselves and those who were literally victims. Gideon, who was hiding in a hole, when the angel of the Lord appears and calls him a mighty man of God. Remember his reply? <laughs> me? Lord, are, are you talking to me? Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Yes, you, you mighty man of God. And what does Gideon do? He gives all kinds of excuses. He says, I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe is the least of all the tribes. Oh, woe is me. Poor me, I am the victim. But God calls him 
a mighty man. And you know how that story ends. There's another individual in one of the Gospels. He is a paralytic. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's lame. He's been outside of this pool. And every so often, the angel of the Lord would come down, stir the water, and whoever made it to the pool and touched it was healed. And so for 38 years, he was outside that gate waiting for the angel. But every time the angel came down and touched the water because he couldn't walk, he never made it. And therefore, he never got his miracle until one day Jesus shows up. And Jesus sees him and he asks him, what do you want? The man says, I want to walk, but he says, but what? He says, but but every time I try, people trample on me. People push me around. People don't let me get there because I'm this, because I'm that. Oh, poor me. Jesus said, what do you want? Well, not necessarily with that tone, of course. I'm sure that he uh, spoke with great compassion. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to walk. He said, get up and walk. In the Old Testament, we find David's family. And David has a daughter. Her name is Tamar. And Tamar's earlier years are characterized by beauty and innocence, which both captivated and tortured a certain young man, actually her half-brother, Amnon. The Bible says that Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. But let me tell you, Amnon's shrewd cousin concocted this malicious plan that made the impossible possible for Amnon. So Jonadab counsels Amnon, go to bed and pretend to be ill, he says. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. Now, that's a weird request, but Amnon has no trouble figuring out the rest of the plan. King David attends to his sickly son Amnon and dutifully honors his request to beckon Tamar to his bedside. Tamar prepares cakes and brings them to Amnon, but instead of grabbing hold of the cakes, he grabs hold of Tamar. No, my brother, she said. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where can I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. Tamar's voice of reason goes completely unheeded. And Amnon, determined to satisfy his fleshly appetite, he proceeds to forcefully rape his half-sister, yes, he raped his half-sister. He refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. In doing so, Amnon proved himself to be one of the wicked fools in Israel. By definition, a victim is a person who experiences adversity and who is powerless to change the situation. For instance, a victim of neglect as a result of alcoholic parents or an unwanted divorce or infidelity or some kind of uh, abuse or sexual harassment. Tamar was clearly the victim of Amnon. Tamar's tragic loss of innocence would be but the first in a string of abuses committed by Amnon, who after maliciously victimizing Tamar, the Bible says that he hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. He commands her to get out and has a servant put her out when, when she refuses to leave. He hates the 
the notion of taking her as his bride, which the law required, and tells a servant to bolt the door behind her. Tamar was devastated by Amnon's heartless disregard for her feelings and wishes, her plans and her dreams, and the deep disdain he felt toward her after forcing himself on her was more than she could bear. To express her deep sorrow and shame, Tamar tore her richly ornamented robe, which symbolized her status as a virgin daughter of the king, and placed ashes on her head. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, 19, she put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. You see, the victim mentality is a mindset in which a person who was once a victim continues in old thought patterns that foster these feelings of powerlessness even when the victimization has ended. The victim mentality causes individuals to see others as powerful but themselves as weak and powerless. The victim mentality leads those who were genuinely powerless to stop abuse in the past to assume the same powerless state in the present. In order to fully embrace the future that the Lord has planned for them, this faulty assumption needs to be replaced with God's truth. You see, the victim mentality can consciously or subconsciously be used to deny responsibility for a person's present actions. The individual continues in self-destructive attitudes and actions while blaming others for the undesirable results. Victory requires, of course, a new mindset. People who go through life victimized, people who have been victims, and who have not been able to recover or recalibrate their mindset, they go on through life accepting abuse, accepting blame, accepting condemnation and accepting injustice, being critical of self and of other people, being desperate for approval, being unable to set boundaries, being unable to accept compliments, being a people pleaser, and sometimes being defensive all the time. Victims also go on to, at times, develop certain dependencies. They become dependent on things like food, drugs or alcohol, on other people or religion, on physical appearance, on social status, on financial security, on personal abilities, on material possessions, or on professional success. You see, addictions are mood-altering, whether through a chemical like alcohol, a behavior like gambling, or a person like codependency. Through the years in counseling sessions, when I've dealt with people who have been victimized, I have noticed that they struggle with fear, fear of all kinds, fear of abandonment, of rejection, fear of failure, fear of affection, fear of intimacy, fear of authority figures, even fear, fear of God, fear of unexpected changes or unfamiliar places, and of unpredictable situations. You see, Fear triggers the release of adrenaline in the body that propels us to action. Action often called fight, flight, or freeze. It's a natural emotion designed by God. However, prolonged fear or fearfulness is not designed by God. For fearfulness means living in a state of fear or having a spirit of fear. And now, you've heard me say this before in other episodes. I've mentioned 2 Timothy 1.7. That God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. People with a victim mindset, they oftentimes are compulsive. They're compulsive about perfectionism. <laughs> Remember what I said a couple of episodes ago? 
that perfectionism, according to my definition, is an outward expression of an internal lack of peace? Yes, that's what perfectionism is. Again, it's an outward expression of an inward lack of peace. They're also compulsive about responsibility or about daily routines, cleanliness, orderliness, personal rituals, or repeated victimization. They're compulsive about their dieting, their exercise, or simply about locking doors. A lot of the things that I'm sharing with you today regarding victimization, those who have a victim mindset, I have uh, evidenced it in counseling sessions in the past 15 years as I've dealt with a multitude of individuals who have been victim, victims to their parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, the neighbor, teachers, strangers, and I have seen the manifestation of that inward hurt, that inward lack of peace. And believe me, it impacts them. It impacts their whole person, their body, their soul, and their spirit. Some of these victims develop specific disorders like substance abuse or addictions, anorexia, bulimia, overeating. They hurt themselves. They are self-endangered. Others others have memory disturbances like simple memory blocks, flashbacks, memory loss. Others, of course, and I've seen this a lot in counseling, they develop sexual difficulties, the loss of libido, impotence, promiscuity, sexual identity confusion, or defensive reactions to simple touch, to the point where they can't be touched by their own spouses or their own children because their cortisol increases, their adrenaline secretes, and they go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Some of the victims end up becoming angry towards God because they think God is responsible for the bad things that have happened to them. They think that God is cruel and unloving. They think God is unfair and unjust. They also developed a warped perception of God. They perceive God as being distant and disinterested, indifferent to their pain or as being unavailable to them. Of course, there are those that find refuge in God, that reach out in faith and grab a hold of the promises of God. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29. So I want you to understand that there are legitimately people out there that have been victimized. They've been hurt. They've been like Tamar, raped, abused. They've been put through situations against their own will that have caused them unrepairable pain, hurt, that unless they come to the Lord and cast all of their cares onto Him, they won't ever see healing come their way. And there are other people that they call themselves victims, and they use that as a as a card, as a license to go out and loot, to go out and hurt, to go out and destroy. These people put on the mantle of victim and they go out feeling entitled, feeling like the world owes them, like we owe them a favor. They demand a certain treatment. And let me tell you, this has nothing to do with color. This has all to do with culture. It is a culture It is a cultural thing 
not a color thing. Please understand, as I mentioned earlier, emancipation is not an outward thing. Emancipation is a condition of the mind. The Israelites had lived for 400 years under the dominion of the Egyptians under Pharaoh. I mean, they were slaves to the Egyptians. They were, they were abused by them. They were, they were hurt by them. I mean, the situation was pretty grave and it went on for 400 years. It was several generations until God appoints Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. And you know the story, Pharaoh lets the people go and God gives them a vision through Moses, a promise called the promised land, a place that was going to be the complete polar opposite of what they had been, uh, what they had gone through for 400 years. They were going to a land of milk and honey, a, a land of abundance, of freedom. And God freed them from Pharaoh's rule, and they should have gotten to the promised land in about two to three weeks, but it took them 40 years. Yes, 40 stinking years of going around in circles around the wilderness, suffering simply because they grumbled, they, they, they complained. They actually said at one point, we would have been better off under Pharaoh's rule than, than where we're at today. I mean, it's crazy. But let me tell you, you might have a hard time understanding why they would think this way and actually feel quite frustrated, you know, when you look at their history and look at what they went through and then all of a sudden they have this wonderful promise. Well, let me tell you, the reason is very simple. These people, the, the, the Israelites, they had been freed physically. They were no longer under the, the hand of the Egyptians. They were freed physically, but, and here's the big but, <laughs> but they were mentally bound. The chain of slavery was still around their mind. They were mentally bound. They were physically free, but mentally bound. It's that plain and simple. I use an analogy to explain this. So the analogy is that of an elephant. When a baby elephant is born under a circus tent, when it's born into captivity, the first thing that the trainer does to the elephant baby, once it's born, the first thing that it does while it's still nursing is that the trainer puts a metal ring around the elephant's leg. That metal ring is attached to a chain and the chain is attached to a, a metal stake that is pounded into the ground 24 inches deep. Let me tell you, as the elephant grows, all the trainer does is widen the ring that is around its leg. The chain is the same, the same length, and the stake in the ground is the same depth. The trainer uses the ring, the chain, and the stake in the ground to control the mind of the elephant. The trainer whips the elephant into place. It trains it to do these feats and to dance and to bow down and, and to do tricks. The elephant doesn't understand that it has the power, the strength, 
to free itself from the bondage. You see, the elephant has never seen itself. It's never looked at itself in a mirror. (laughs) It doesn't know that it is a three-ton mastodont that has the power to tear down a whole circus, to destroy, to free itself, to run. Why? Because from birth, it was trained. The mind of the elephant was conditioned to believe a certain way. And once again, it was never able to see its reflection. It didn't know its size. It didn't know its potential. And so, no matter how big the chain, or how small in this case, the chain that is around the mind of the elephant is greater in strength than the one that holds it captive to the ground. Some of you are living like this elephant and you've been conditioned from childhood. You've been conditioned to believe a lie and that lie has kept you in bondage, whether it's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. It's a victim mentality, a poverty mindset. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks, on the wrong side of town. I was born into poverty. No one in my family ever went to college. Neither will I. Everyone's been poor and, and I'll die poor. You know, this type of mindset, you know, a mindset that says my color defines me, my ethnicity defines me, my, my culture defines me. No. <laughs> if you're a believer, God defines you. Understand, God's word defines you. You've got to let go of that mindset. Some of you have the victim mentality because you have taken that mantle upon yourself. Why? Because you like attention. You love drama. You don't like responsibility. You like getting your own way. You like like making people feel uh, sorry for you. And some of you, some of you have adopted this victim mentality, rightfully so, because you've been abused like Tamar. You've been neglected. You've been hurt. So at this point, you're probably asking yourself, well, Milton, so how do, I, how do I stop being a victim or feeling like a victim? Well, let me tell you, there's no secret recipe. However, there are a few steps that you can follow to help you mitigate these feelings and eventually overcome them. Number one, start by replacing you with I. In other words, instead of saying, you make me feel so angry or you upset me, or you make me feel so disrespected, you can replace that statement or rephrase that statement simply by saying, I feel so angry when I hear you say that particular thing, whatever it is. You see, this simple trick can help you learn to take more self-responsibility for your happiness. In other words, you start to understand that happiness is in your hands. You can't give it away. You can't give that that, that permission away to someone else to control your happiness or your, your state of being. Take full responsibility for the way that you feel. Number two, see yourself as a survivor. You see, a victim argues with life. A survivor embraces it. A victim dwells in the past. A survivor lives in the present. A victim believes they're helpless. A survivor takes back control over their life. Although the victim mentality is addictive, the survivor mentality is much more empowering in the long term. Once you start seeing yourself as a survivor, you'll begin to feel better about life and you'll attract people for the right reasons. 
listening to a survivor is much more refreshing and inspiring than listening to a victim (laughs) wallow in self-pity. Number three, be kind and compassionate towards yourself. In other words, be careful about becoming a victim of being a victim. You see, this role isn't something you choose. You developed it as a result of childhood conditioning, as I mentioned before, as I mentioned the elephant. Be gentle with yourself and practice self-love. Explore those core wounds and core beliefs that have compounded your victim identity and replace them with self-compassion. If you're struggling to get past the victim role, practice self-care by seeing a therapist, a counselor, a life coach. Experiment with practices such as journaling and affirmations, neuro-linguistic programming, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and some other forms of self-love. Number four, explore your mistaken beliefs. You see, mistaken beliefs create anxiety, depression, anger, and blame. A lot of these beliefs are lodged in the shadow side of your psyche and can only be explored through deep shadow work. You'll probably be stunned by how many types of mistaken beliefs you have unknowingly adopted. See, the shadow side that I'm talking about is what I've been mentioning over and over, your subconscious mind. The deep shadow work is having someone help you through through deep thought process questions to pull those things out of your subconscious mind so that once you have defined them, you can defeat them. Number five, ask What thought is creating this suffering? All suffering originates in beliefs that go unquestioned and unexamined in our minds. You see, when we attach to these thoughts, we suffer. Remember, you don't have to believe every thought that pops up in your head. Number six, practice being thankful. You see, gratitude is a simple but powerful way to remind yourself that life is not as miserable as you perceive it to be. Each day, try to find at least 10 things that you're thankful for. You might like to keep a a gratitude journal in which you write these 10 things down or simply simply name them mentally. I, I like doing this first thing in the morning, during my prayer time. You see, my gratitude, I elevate towards God. So before I open my eyes, I make a list. Thank you, Lord, for, and I go down my list of 10 different things. Sometimes more than 10, sometimes fewer than 10. Nevertheless, I wake up with an attitude of gratitude. Number seven, affirm self-responsibility. In other words, start to notice all the ways that you try to bypass self-responsibility. Be ruthlessly honest and examine how gaining sympathy from others makes you feel special and continues the cycle of pointing the finger at others. You see, you might like to use an affirmation such as, I am responsible for my life or I am empowered to create change to help you reprogram this subconscious need to play the victim. You might also like to do something that builds your confidence and actually shows you that you are capable or reflect on something in the past that you overcame successfully. Listen, sometimes you need to celebrate the small victories. And lastly, number eight, perform an act of kindness for another person. When we play the victim, we tend to be solely focused on ourselves engrossed in ourselves, sometimes egotistical. Get yourself out of your head by doing something nice for another person you love, realizing that you can feel good without manipulating another person. That's an important way to cut the addiction of self-victimization. 
One last thing. You've got to reclaim your identity in Christ. Listen, Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So as you start this new journey of breaking free from the victim mindset, the victim mentality, remind yourself, you are chosen by God. You're adopted by God. You are a child of God. You have been born again. You are a new creation. You have a new nature. You have a new heart. You have a new spirit. You have a new mind. You're clothed with Christ. You're baptized into Christ. You are hidden in Christ. You are sealed with the Spirit of Christ. You are redeemed. You are washed and purified. You are justified. You're totally accepted by Christ and totally blameless before Christ. You're totally righteous in Him. Totally complete in Him. Totally perfect in Christ. You are free from accusations, free from condemnation, free from the law, free from God's wrath. You've been made an heir of God. You've inherited everything that you need to be godly. You've inherited a new nature in Christ. You have inherited every spiritual blessing. And you, my friend, have inherited eternal life. The moment that you accepted Christ into your life, whenever that happened, all of these adjectives or truths were attached to you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, If all of this is new to you, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. If you've come to that fork in the road, that place where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you don't want to keep living the way that you've been living and you want to change your life, change will only come through Christ, in Christ. The prayer is not a magical prayer. It's a miraculous prayer. It's a prayer of acceptance, of repentance, of receiving Him in your heart and allowing Him to take over. If that's you today, if you're wanting to do this, let me pray with you. All you have to do is repeat. Believe it in your mind, believe it in your heart, and express it with your mouth. Let me pray. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I come before you as a sinner with a repentant heart. I know that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were resurrected on the third day, and it is through you that I have new being. I accept the forgiveness for my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. As of today, I promise to follow you the rest of my life. And I know that because of my confession today, I have inherited eternal life. I am brand new, a new creation. The old things are in the past and the new has come. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
If you made that decision today, I want to encourage you to connect with a church that teaches the Word of God. I want to encourage you to start reading the Word of God so that you can start to understand your new identity, understand the benefits that you have as a child of God, and start to uh, reframe the mind. You see, when we come to Him, He gives us a new heart. However, the mind is something that we ourselves have to seek to renew in order to be transformed. It's not easy, but it's doable in Him. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, I hope that this episode has been a blessing. I hope that it's helped shed some light on your situation and that you are encouraged and empowered to start the breaking free process. Start breaking free from the victim mindset, pursuing a new life in Christ, pressing on to the goal that is set before you. I love you guys and I appreciate your time, your connecting with me every day or every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you need to ask me a question, please feel free to send me a message through Instagram. So go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I will attach my Instagram handle to the show notes. Uh, If you are in need of a counseling session or sessions, feel free to uh, schedule an appointment. I will also attach my scheduling app to the show notes as well. All sessions are currently uh, virtual. They're online. So we can either connect through Zoom, we can connect through FaceTime or WhatsApp, uh, video conferencing. And uh, also keep in mind that there are a lot of other resources that I have uploaded to my YouTube channel. I will also attach the link to it in the show notes. Let's connect. You know, these are, these are valuable resources that will help you grow and become the person, not only that you have wanted to be, but the person that God has purposed you to become. God bless you guys. I love each and every one of you in Christ.